The release of Vicky Beeching's book Undivided has been accompanied by media interviews, a piece in the Sunday Times and other online and broadcast material. The book tells the story of her life as a teenager and then adult, struggling with marrying up her evangelical theology and emerging sexuality. Despite an international career as a songwriter, recording artist and worship leader, even to this day her songs are sung in many churches around the world, she eventually found the struggle too much and she attributes her autoimmune illness in her late 20s to this stress. Today, Vicky is an advocate for a revisionist position on sexual activity in the evangelical world since coming out four years ago. She will continue to be an important voice in the conversation in the Church of England on this topic, which continues to bubble under the surface as the House of Bishops working groups do their task on preparing a new teaching document and producing other supporting material, all scheduled for 2020. I don't intend for this podcast to be a critique of Vicky's book. Other people have done that in other places and they are easy to find. Rather, I want to take the opportunity to think about some of the issues that Vicky raises in the subtitle to her book and how the conservative wing of the church can approach them. The full title of Vicky's book is Undivided, Coming Out, Being Whole and Living Free from Shame. It strikes me that that subtitle is worth exploring more because it raises themes that do not necessarily mean that a revisionist agenda has to be held. There is nothing in coming out, being honest about your sexuality and finding a life that isn't lived in shame that has to ultimately end in changing core Christian theology. There are plenty of evangelicals, the author of this podcast for one, who are not heterosexual but have no problem being open about that fact and are not ashamed of it. The theologian and writer and former gay activist David Bennett is another and his book The War of Loves will be published in the autumn. In it, he narrates his life story and how he came to a different conclusion than Vicky Beeching, having at first been very happy with a liberal gay identity. Perhaps we might think about other gay Anglicans in the Church of England who are very open about their sexuality, but comfortably take a conservative position on sexual practice and marriage. We could think of Dr Sean Doherty, ethics professor at St Melitus College and a parish priest in Kensington and whose wife Gabby has just published a powerful book of stories about the community there in the year after the Grenfell Tower fire. Sean Doherty has written and spoken on this issue and his personal journey. From a more conservative evangelical perspective, Vaughan Roberts, the rector of St Ebbs in Oxford, has been open about his sexuality. And Sam Albury, from that same stable, has spoken extensively on this subject, becoming a main stage speaker at many events in the UK and the USA. Sam is, though I hesitate to use the term, rapidly being seen as a leading evangelical on this topic. Are these men, and it does seem the Church of England to mainly be men, perhaps that is a problem, are these men simply repressing their sexuality, bottling up their real emotions and heading for, for, heading for a breakdown? Well, I think we should let them speak for themselves, and when they do, we find that they are actually incredibly emotionally healthy, despite the barbed insults on them I find flying at them from some revisionists. So why is this? When I look at stories of gay people who have moved from a conservative to a revisionist perspective on this issue, I find two common themes. The first is a story of secrecy and not being able to be open about one's sexuality. This leads, as you would expect, to internal emotional turmoil because the individual is constantly having to wear a mask and be in public someone they are not in private. 
You find this narrative very clearly in Vicky's book and it's painful to read. It's an experience shared by so many gay, lesbian and bisexual men and women regardless of their theology. The powerful, liberating experience of coming out is not to be underestimated. It transforms a life of shame and secrets into one of openness and self-respect. Actually, I wanted to use the word pride there, but I suspected it might be misunderstood. That said, the word pride is a good one, and having just been through pride season, it's a valuable exercise to watch these marches and see them for what they are, expressions of freedom to simply be who you are, even if that person who you are is someone with appallingly bad fashion sense. Seriously, drag queens, some of you need to up your game. The second aspect I often read in these narratives is some form of conversion attempt. By this I mean some therapy or prayer or some other similar exercise that were intended to change the sexual orientation. When this fails, as it normally largely does, the individual becomes despondent and confused. As I've written before, the key problem with these kinds of approaches is that they by necessity operate out of a framework where heterosexual attraction is seen as morally superior to homosexual attraction. But frankly, this is a concept we can't find in the Bible. Rather, the Bible's focus in this area is on specific sexual activity. It's worth making a small excursus at this point to note that in some parts of the evangelical community, this is a point of controversy. Some of the evangelical conservatives I've mentioned today are quite happy to call themselves gay. Others use the language of same-sex attraction because they think the language of gay is either too politically charged or makes one's sexual attraction a core part of one's being when it isn't. I have to be honest and say that I don't see any real difference between gay and same-sex attracted. And on the issue of making gay a core part of your being, well, that's less a prescriptive thing and rather an honest descriptive thing. I'm gay. Actually, I'm not sure these days what I am, but hey, try and, let's try and use language that others understand. You're gay. You're straight. You're bisexual. You have sexual attraction to minors. You are oriented like the vast majority of us to adults. You're into blondes. He's into brunettes. Why is he into brunettes? Is it a genetic thing? A learned behaviour? A psychosexual response to some childhood trauma, like being forced to watch too many Reese Witherspoon comedies, perhaps? Who knows? It's actually not the point. It's all simply language that describes our sexual and emotional attractions, but doesn't necessarily have to be prescriptive, either in how those attractions became to be, or in what to do with those attractions. And this actually reminds me, the word paedophile is the most badly used word in this whole area of sexuality. I know a few paedophiles, and to the best of my knowledge, they have never abused children or set out to abuse children. They're simply honest and open with a few people, a few safe people, about what they experience. But that doesn't make them evil or immoral or otherwise. It's the same, actually, with the language of gay or bisexual or whatever. It's descriptive of one's emotional and sexual basis, but doesn't validate in and of itself any activities. So back to Vicky's story. It's clear she's bottled this up for two decades, and that's an awfully long time to keep something like this a secret. She also tells us some experiences of attempted change via prayer or other methods. I read this kind of experience very often in connection with coming out and taking a revisionist position, and as I've said before, it's easy to see why. When all you've had are negative experiences around your sexual attraction, 
when you've been caught in a framework that is telling you implicitly, if not explicitly, that being heterosexual is morally superior to being homosexual. Finding the capacity to be real and honest about being homosexual and the pain it has caused is really important. And let's be honest, guys. This is something that the evangelical church simply fails to do time and time again. Even today, with so many gay conservatives being open about their sexuality, it is incredibly hard just to stand up and say, I'm gay in the middle of an evangelical church teaching traditional orthodox theology. There is still too much suspicion, too much assumption. There is the fear as to how you'll be received, whether you'll still be able to do the ministries that you are involved in. You, it's getting better in many places, but it's still a problem and it needs to be addressed. You see the problem in the way that the tragic suicide of Lizzie Lowe, which could have been avoided if the church in question had taught clearly from the front that being gay was not an in, on, in and of itself sinful. The way that her suicide is currently being weaponized by liberals as a tool to promote revisionist teaching. And this is the point. The reason why Vicky Beeching couldn't continue her ministry wasn't because she came out. It was because she came out and accompanied it with a particular theological position. The real theological debate isn't over the desire for orgasm, but the place and function of orgasm in practice. When Beeching chooses a title like Undivided, she's actually playing a very clever game because revisionists want to so conflate orientation and activity that in societies and the church's inability to divide them, we find ourselves defending both because there is no other possibility. This, of course, is the real danger of the evangelical position which says it's wrong to call yourself gay, even if you're chaste and teaching orthodoxy on this subject. What this stance actually does is fall for the undivided trap, hook, line and sinker, by conflating all aspects of sexuality into one sinful whole in a way the scripture never does. And this, what happens, brothers and sisters, is that people, gay people, run away from this because they want more. If we want to prevent suicides of gay teens, we need to start telling people very clearly that being gay is okay. We want to help our church members not struggle with mental health issues around this when they are homosexual, then we have to make sure they are comfortable being themselves and don't get told that if they changed, they would be better. If we want to untangle the orientation and activity web that revisionists wind for us, we have to clearly teach a theology of sex and orgasm that is grounded in scripture and sees the rules God has laid down for us as having deep Christological meaning and that they are entirely separate to our sexual desires. This is what I've been trying to do with my series on the Song of Songs and other material that I've written and spoken about over the past few years. And furthermore, Unless we have gay voices in the conservative church speaking clearly about these things, it will always be a valid criticism of evangelicals that we like to pontificate about other people that we don't really know anything about. There is a gay voice in the evangelical church that can be undivided, undivided from scripture, undivided from church social and moral teaching, undivided from the honest truth about ourselves and our sexualities. The challenge for us is whether we want to listen to it and promote it or whether we'll simply let the same heterosexual, white, 
older men tell us what to think about things they've never had to struggle with themselves. At the moment, the gay revisionist lobby is winning this debate because theirs is an authentic voice. It is their story, their narrative, their theology. If the evangelical church is serious about coming up with a better narrative, it has to be a genuine gay voice that shares it. Otherwise, we are just going to be more and more divided on this issue. I'm Peter Old. And this is Radio Free Catapult. Behold the God-man crucified, the perfect sin.